You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, I'm glad you're with us today as we're in this second Sunday of the Advent season. Now, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. What we do in this season is we look back and we remember and we celebrate the coming, the arrival of our Savior that very first Christmas. But we also look forward to his soon return. Jesus said he will come again. And then we do a final thing in the Advent season. We prepare our hearts for Jesus to come to us Afresh, And so I say it every year, but this is not a season of stress. This is not a season of materialism. This is not a season to max out your credit cards. This is a season of worship. Can I get an amen, somebody? So we're going to prepare our hearts. Let every heart prepare him room. That's what Advent is about. It's about preparation to celebrate the good news of the birth of our Savior. So as you're preparing your heart in these next few days and weeks, let me ask you this question. What helps you get into the Christmas spirit? What is it for you? What's that initial thing that kind of helps the Christmas spirit come alive for you? Why don't you take 20 seconds and share it with somebody next to you? Go ahead, make a friend if you're sitting next to somebody you don't know. Tell them, what is it that helps you get into the Christmas spirit? What is it for you? For how many of you, it's, the, it's Christmas music? Like, it's when that one radio station starts playing nonstop Christmas music. How many of you have your radio tuned to 106.7, nonstop, 24-7, listening to Christmas music in your sleep? Yes. Some of you, yes. My radio station is dialed there as well. For some of you, it's the peppermint mochas when they arrive at Starbucks. Can I get an amen? Caffeine fiends in the house, yes. <laughs> Somebody's like, yes, pastor, preach. Y'all get excited when I mention coffee in church. Some of you, maybe it's the lighting of the Rockefeller Christmas tree. How many of you watched that this past week? Isn't it beautiful? Every year, me and my boys, we watch the lighting of the tree. We love to go down and see the the tree. And, you know, last year there were like no crowds. It was amazing with COVID. This year you might get trampled all over again going to see Rockefeller. Things are going back to normal. But I love the tree. It helps me get into the Christmas the Christmas spirit. And I think for most of us, like we want to embrace the Christmas spirit, don't we? Like we want to we wanna feel happy. We want to feel peace and love and, and enjoy maybe even a little bit nostalgic this time of year. But how many of you know what we want to feel is not always how we actually feel? Sometimes we want to feel like love and joy and peace on earth and goodwill toward men and let's be jolly. But instead, what we're actually feeling is anxiety, worry, uncertainty, maybe even a little bit of stress from all the extra preparations for the holiday season. I'll be careful preaching about that because Amy's like, what do you do? You don't do anything. Shut up. (laughs) Like our kids open their presents on Christmas. It's like, thanks, dad. Like, yeah, you're so welcome. Put so much thought into that gift for you. (laughs) They know it was mom. But maybe it's the uncertainty you're feeling right now in your finances. We're going into the season of purchasing gifts and such, and there's uncertainty in your finances or maybe in your job, your career. Maybe it's, uh, it's tension that you feel in a relationship. It's the time of year when we, you know, we want to sit down and gather with, with family, but maybe there's a strained relationship and you know you're going to have to face that this Christmas season. Maybe it's sadness. The holidays have a way of, of making us aware of our sadness, right? That, that things are not always the same this year as they were last year. Maybe there's someone who's not present in your life this year who was, who was in your life last year. I think the older I get, the holidays are always are a little bit more tinged with sadness just as I, I get older and realize like things are not going to be the same as when I was a, a kid. Whatever you're feeling today, if you're feeling 
any of those things, I want to encourage you. You're in the right place today because I came to encourage you today. Here's what I want you to know. This, this is what Advent is actually all about. Advent is about acknowledging that all is not right in the world, but our trust and our hope is in the one who can make it right. Come on, that's what, that's what this season's about. It's about longing. Advent says it's okay to long for a Savior. It, it's okay to feel like that we need light in, in the darkness. It's, it's okay. It's about longing. It's about preparation to receive the best news that the world has ever heard, the news we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so we're going to deal with our uncertainty today. If you came in today feeling some of those, those feelings, that's all right. So here's what we're doing in this Advent series. We're actually looking at some Old Testament prophecies Prophecies that we might call B.C., before Christmas. We know B.C. is before Christ, but before Christmas, think about this. The prophets prophesied centuries before the birth of Christ. And what we find is that these prophecies are fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and they're relevant for us, for you and me today. Now, prophets were special messengers. I know you may think different things when you hear the term prophet. Prophets were simply special messengers. God would speak to, to them at specific times and specific places with a specific message. Maybe he would give them a word of wisdom. Maybe he would give the people of God some instructions. Often he would rebuke them and, and there were warnings. Today we're going to look at some words from one of the most famous prophets in all of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. Now let me give you a little context surrounding Isaiah's life in which the, the time in which he lived. Isaiah lived during a time of political turmoil and upheaval. The people of God, the Israelites, were split into two kingdoms that were not getting along. In the north was the kingdom of Israel. In the south was the kingdom of Judah. There was tension. There was looming war on the horizon. And in the midst of all of this tension and turmoil, Isaiah begins to speak and he begins to prophesy. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, now stop right there, it's so easy when we open our Bibles when we read a scripture like this to breeze right past a phrase like that. But we have to pause here for a moment because this is a really big deal. You have to understand that King Uzziah had been king of Judah for 52 years. I mean, it's a big deal for us when we change a president every eight, every four years. 52 years he had been king, and he was a strong king. He had led the people well, and they had prospered under his, under his reign, under his leadership. He was a famous and popular king. You might say that everything was good in Judah when, when the big U was king, when King Uzziah was, was on the throne. Now, King Uzziah, as I said, had been king for a generation, but he was also a king during a time when there was tension, right? When there was potential war with this other, this other kingdom. So when he died, it really made people feel uncertain. It kind of sent people into, into a collective frenzy. The, the people had the, the, this sense of like, what, what's going to happen now? Like, you know, this king that we've known for a generation, all we've ever known is King Uzziah. Like, like what's going to happen now? And here's the idea. Uncertainty often opens the door for anxiety. How many of you know that's true? When we find ourselves in uncertain times, any of you, you just love uncertain times, you just welcome uncertain times in your life, like, I have no idea where the finances are going to come from. This is going to be wonderful. No, we don't like that, do we? Uncertainty often opens the door for anxiety to come into our lives. Now, as modern-day Americans living in a democracy, we might not be used to having a king, but I think we can still relate to this idea because there have been times when our nation has collectively felt a sense of, of great uncertainty. For example, when I was a kid, I remember my parents talking about uh, where they were when, when they heard the news that President John F. Kennedy had been shot. 
a defining moment in their lives, right, in their lifetime in America. And, and just remember hearing my parents talk about that when I was a kid. And then, of course, in my lifetime, I think of something like 9-11, you know, something that totally was a defining moment in the history of America, certainly in the history of New York City and our, our city. And many of you have lived here long enough, you know, maybe it directly affected you. Maybe you lost someone or we know, we all know someone who, who lost someone. So think about this for a moment. When I mentioned 9-11, like, where were you when you first heard the news? Like almost instinctively right away, you know exactly where you were at that time, right? It's a collective memory that was burned into, into, uh, into your mind. In fact, for me, I was in, in Texas at the time. Amy and I were at a Christian college and where we met, and I was finishing up my education degree. I was student teaching, and I'll never forget, I was a, I was a high school English teacher, and this kid named Eddie Brown, whose name I probably would not remember to this day except for it was 9-11, opened the door, came in, and said, Mr. Ziegler, put the TV on. A plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And Amy and I had just actually been in New York City. Uh, we were dating at the time along with her brother and her sister. We went on a road trip to, to New York City. And we had just parked really close to the World Trade Center. And so it just hit home with me, even though I was all those miles away in, in Texas, had no idea that I would live in this area w- one day. But it was one of those, those moments where we felt collective uncertainty as a nation, right? Like, what, what's going to happen next? And every time a plane flew over, we were, we were nervous. And like this, this question of, are we going to be safe? And then... We've all had our personal moments, our, our personal what now moments, haven't we? Moments where uncertainty opened the door for us for, for anxiety. Maybe it was a divorce that you went through or a relationship that didn't work out or the loss of a job or the diagnosis of a sickness or not knowing what to major in college or what direction to go with your career. Uh, for the past two years, we've been living through a big global what now moment called COVID. Like what now? What's next? What's the next strain? We're going to run out of names pretty soon, right? Like it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Like, what now? What's next? It's the moment we're living in time right now. And so here's what I want you to get in touch with for a moment here. I want you to realize that feeling that you feel when things are uncertain, this is exactly what the people of Judah were feeling when they heard this news that King Uzziah had died. In the midst of this uncertainty, this what now moment, Isaiah sees a vision. Look at the rest of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah sees a vision of God, and how does God reveal himself? As a king. He sees, he sees God on, on, a, on a throne, and his train fills, the train of his robe fills the temple. In, in the midst of, of this turmoil and this sense of what are we going to, to do now without our king? God gives Isaiah a powerful, a powerful reminder. There's another king coming. And, and this king who's, who's coming, like his glory is going to fill the whole earth and there will be no end to his kingdom. Now Isaiah not only sees a vision of a king on a throne, but he also sees the vision of a king in a cradle. Fast forward to Isaiah chapter 7, the next chapter, and everyone's fears have become a reality because war is about to break out between these two kingdoms. And Isaiah, again, prophesies hope to the people in the form of a future king who is to come. In fact, he goes to King Ahaz, who's the king at the time, and he prophesies to this king that God is going to give him a special sign. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Isaiah says that there's a future king who's, who's coming, who's going, to, who's going to come into this world like we all do a, a, as a child, but he's not from this world. He's not of this world. He's going to be born of a virgin. And of course, we know that this king is Jesus. This is King Jesus. Now, fast forward about 700 years to the New Testament, and the apostle Matthew makes the connection between Jesus' birth and Isaiah's prophecy. In, in Matthew chapter 1, as he gives his account of, of the Christmas story, let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. If you remember this, the Annunciation, right? The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her she's going to give birth to the Messiah, to the one who will save her people. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So here's Joseph. He's a man of God, but he's a man. He doesn't understand everything that's happening, so he's going to break off this engagement quietly so he doesn't publicly shame Mary. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 22. Here's our scripture. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken 700 years earlier. He, he connects these two scriptures and helps us see, like, this prophecy is fulfilled in the life, in the birth of Jesus. Now, we don't know why God made his people wait for centuries. How many of you have been a Christian long enough to discover that God's timing is often not your timing? That God doesn't always answer prayer requests on the timetable that you would like him to answer. Aren't you glad he didn't make you wait seven centuries? You might be with Jesus by now, right? And so we don't know why God made his people wait for centuries, but here's what we do know. God made good in his promise. Come on, somebody needs to hold on to that today. He's a faithful God. If he makes a promise, he's going to come through. It might not be on your timetable. You may not understand his timing. You may not understand what he's doing, but he's a faithful God who will make good on what he's promised. And God makes good on his promise, and he gives them a king, but he's no ordinary king. Listen to how Isaiah goes on to describe this long-awaited king. Isaiah chapter 9, famous words that we read on Christmas cards this time of year. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's never been said about any other king before. He's no ordinary king. He's not just a king. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father to his people. He's a prince of peace. His government's not going to have an end, not after 52 years, not after four years, not after eight years. His government's going to have no end. He's no ordinary king. This child grew up to be the king that the people of God had waited for for centuries, and he was unlike any other king the world had ever seen before. He was powerful and good and righteous and holy and merciful, not a conquering king. Who, who reigned by force or by violence, but, but a peaceful king, a prince of 
peace. Not someone who lorded his position over others, but one who came as a servant. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. And so Jesus shows up in the Gospels, in the New Testament, and he begins to preach and announce the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. And how does he demonstrate it? Does he begin to raise a volunteer army? Does he begin to levy taxes on the people? Does he begin to to enforce his rule on their lives? What, What does Jesus do to demonstrate this kingdom? He loves the unlovable. And he touches the untouchable. And he begins to preach things that the people had never heard before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And and love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And turn the other cheek and give, and it shall be given unto you. And he began to proclaim gospel that was good news to the poor, that was good news to the outsiders, to the marginalized, to those who had been forgotten. And, and And he healed people who were sick, and he restored people who were caught in the shame of their sin. This is the kind of king that Jesus was. Now, can you imagine how exciting it must have been for his followers, especially his closest disciples, to to realize that Jesus was the long-awaited king, that all of the prophecies that they had grown up hearing their whole lives, I mean, we hear these prophecies every Christmas, but these prophecies were for the Israelites, for the people of God. They were saturated in these promises. They prayed for the fulfillment of these promises every day, and the promise of God was walking around in their midst, in the person of Jesus Christ. How exciting it was to watch Jesus, can you imagine being there, to watch Jesus open the eyes of a blind person? to watch Jesus divide the fish and the loaves and feed the, the 5,000, to see Jesus raise a dead person, a dead man, back, back to life. Like this is the front row seat the disciples had. And it seemed like Jesus, this king, this Messiah, was unstoppable. Nothing could stop him. But we know how the story unfolds, don't we? We know how the story unfolds. Darkness pushes back on the light. Darkness pushes back on the light, and Jesus is eventually falsely accused and arrested by the religious leaders and the Romans. And as he's being interrogated by Pontius Pilate, the local Roman official, what does Pilate accuse Jesus of? Let's look at this in the Gospel of John chapter 18. Look at this. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I love when Jesus answers a question with a question because you know there's some Jedi wisdom whenever Jesus does that. Verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, like, who, who am I? I'm a Roman. I'm, I'm not in your Jewish business. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Like Pontius Pilate, you don't even understand. My kingdom doesn't operate like your kingdom. My my kingdom is for this world, but it's not of this world. And then look at what Pilate says. You are a king then, said Pilate. And in an ironic twist, Jesus gets arrested and tried for being a king, for being the very thing that God promised to his people. Now, you can imagine, can you imagine the uncertainty 
that the disciples felt at this time. Come on, we want to get in touch with that feeling of uncertainty. Remember some of those examples we gave before? Can you imagine? Here are these disciples who put everything on the line to follow Jesus, dropped everything they were doing. Some of them left their fishing business, left whatever it is they were doing to go follow Jesus for the better part of three years. They had staked everything on this guy, being the Messiah, being the long-awaited king. And now it seemed like it was all over. Everything they had placed their hopes in, everything they had placed their faith in, as Jesus was being led away and crucified like a common criminal. Come on, have you ever had one of those moments where you were like, but God, I trusted you. But God, I prayed. But God, this time I thought I had a scripture to hold on to. Like I thought I had a promise from you. Like I I put my hope in you and it it didn't work out like I thought it would. I I think we we can resonate with what the disciples were feeling with a little bit here. Talk about uncertainty. And what did the Roman soldiers do to Jesus as they led him away. They beat him. They, they mocked him. They placed a robe on him, and they even put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him as, as a king. And the disciples were there to watch every bit of that and to feel every ounce of uncertainty in their guts as they watched that. Now, let me share something fascinating that I heard recently. I'd never heard this before. There are actually two words that can be used in Greek for the word crown. The New Testament was originally written in in Greek. And there are two different Greek words that can be translated to our English word crown. The first one would be the word diadem, which is the king's crown. Picture like a royal, like, you know, golden crown. In fact, we used to have a, a hymn we would sing back in the day in church. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Some of y'all grew up Catholic. You're like, no, we didn't sing that one, Pastor. I, I, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. But it was kind of this rousing hymn, you know, that, you know, this, this kind of rousing hymn, this image of a king. But that's not, <laughs> that's not the word that the gospel writers use. The other term for crown, which is the, the word that the gospel writers use, is actually the, the, the Greek word Stephanos. Now, a Stephanos is a twisted crown of, of laurel and ivy, like the image that you see on the screen, like the crowns that the ancient athletes would receive if they, if they won a race, like in the Olympics. You can picture this, right? Like a, a wreath that you would place on someone's head. This is not the royal golden crown. This is the crown of, of victory. So get this, church, as Jesus is marching to his death, he's marching with a victor's crown. The very symbol that's meant to mock him is transformed into a symbol of the ultimate victory that we have in Christ. I want you to picture this as he's going to the cross for you and for me, as he's being shamed, as he's being beaten, as he's being mocked, he's wearing the victor's crown. He's about to go defeat the cross. He's about to go defeat death because we know three days later he's going to rise again. He's about to defeat sin, hell, death, and the grave. Yeah, come on, somebody. Here's here's what Paul says. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says this. In this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He, he He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Paul says that, that Jesus exposes the forces of evil as powerless with his victory on the cross. This is what we might call the secret wisdom of the cross. The secret wisdom of the cross, just when it looked like the enemy 
was going to prevail. Just when it looked like Satan and the forces of darkness were going to prevail. Just when it looked like death and violence and the Roman way of doing things was going to prevail. Jesus was undoing the power of darkness. He was undoing the power of sin. He was undoing the power of death. He was undoing the power of violence. Church, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is able to transform uncertainty to certain victory. Come on, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hold on to Jesus in those moments of uncertainty. We're going to hold on to Jesus in those moments of uncertainty because Jesus is able to transform uncertainty to certain victory. Come on, if he can overcome death, there's nothing he can't overcome in your life. Nothing surprises him. Nothing shakes him. Nothing worries him. Nothing that's keeping you up at night is keeping him up at night. Church, he's got you. He's victorious. He's wearing the victor's crown. And that's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to know today, even in those moments of of, of uncertainty. And I don't know what you're facing right now. You know, we all have have something in in our lives when we think about what's making us feel uncertain right now. Maybe it is a financial need. Maybe it is a relational need in your life. There's some need for forgiveness or there's some tension. Maybe it's a a sickness of of some type. I I don't know what it is. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to hold on to the one who is certain victory. Hold on to the one who is our victory. Can I just be, be open with you guys and for a moment? Can I just be a human being? Is it okay as a pastor if I'm a human being for a moment and I share some of my own struggles? Because I've been having a season with, with some uncertainty, maybe being a little bit overwhelmed lately. And you ever have one of those seasons where like everything breaks at once, like everything needs to be replaced at once, like all the financial needs come at once. We've been having like, you know, a little season like that. And, and then there's just been a bunch of personal needs. There's been needs with our kids. There's been some medical needs. Like we're going to be fine, but just, just like one of those seasons where a bunch of personal needs all show up at one time. You know what I'm talking about? I've been having a little season like that. And the other day I was feeling really, really overwhelmed. I was sitting down at the at the, at the uh, table in my dining room and just feeling overwhelmed by all these needs and problems that have to be solved, like one more problem that's got to be, be, be solved. And, and I sat down and, and I don't even remember if I began praying or what, but I felt the Lord say to me, Jeremy, you have all these needs on your mind, but what you need more than anything else right now is me. And I just begin to feel the presence of God come over me, even sitting at my dining room table, and I begin to pray. And I'll tell you, I, I prayed a, a prayer that I don't usually always pray. I, as I was studying for this message, I, I began to just acknowledge, like, just the lordship, like the kingship of Jesus. Like, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, I, I trust in you. God, I need you. God, more than I need all of these other things, God, it's you that I need. And I just came into the presence of God, and I, be, I began to weep because there was this realization, like, Jeremy, you're, you're so in touch with all these needs that are weighing on your heart right now. But church, can I tell you what I need more than anything else is a king. What I need more than anything else is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, an ever-present help in my time of need, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a savior, a healer, a redeemer, a victorious king. And my son, Michael, my 10-year-old Michael, walked in the house. He was coming home from school, and he found me just sitting at the table. And he's like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, son, the Holy Spirit can meet you even anywhere, even sitting at the dining room table sometime. And I got a touch of God that I needed in my life that day. And, and I want you to know, church, today, whatever you're going through, whatever your need is, I don't know what your need is, but here's one thing I know about you, and it's the same thing for me. What you need more than what you think you need 
is Jesus Christ, a victorious king. You need a loving, righteous, holy, faithful God in your life. More than anything else you need, you get that at the top of your list and everything else will find its place. It's right for the church. That's what we need. That's what this season is about. It's a season of preparation. It's a season to get in touch with the longing. God, I got this longing in my heart. God, I got these needs. God, I got these wants. God, I got these unfulfilled desires. But here's what I know, God. More than anything else, what I need is the Savior that's been promised to me. What I need is the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For unto us a child is born. I need a king. I need a king in my life, a victorious king. And so when life feels uncertain, we can trust in the certainty that we have a good, loving, and righteous king. And his name is Emmanuel. Yeah, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Even when you don't understand the timing, even when you don't understand the circumstances, even when you can't see what he's up to, here's the promise that we have in this season. He comes to us as God with us. Emmanuel in church, he is with you. You have a king. You have a king. Let me leave you with this. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned a great woman of faith, Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman who lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and she and her family actually helped hide Jews in their home uh, during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. And they ended up being arrested and, and going to prison camps and went through all these awful things. And she lost some of her family members, but, but she survived. And she, she had this wonderful ministry after World War II. She, she went around preaching the gospel and sharing her testimony. And, and so think about the circumstances she went through. And, and here's the quote I want to share with you. Here's what she said. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Come on, let me read that to you again. Somebody needs to hear that quote. Somebody needs to take a picture of that quote. Let let me read this to you again. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, and some of you might feel like you've been in a dark tunnel lately, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You don't jump ship. No, you, you sit still and you trust the engineer. Church, that's what we're gonna do this morning. I wanna give you just a moment. In just a few minutes, we're gonna receive communion together. Maybe you're watching online. You can go ahead and prepare your communion elements if you're watching online, but... Can we just take a moment in this Advent season, in this season of longing, in this season of preparation, to bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord and and just put this quote into practice, to, to, to sit still and trust the engineer. Come on, everybody, just bow your head. Just close your eyes for a moment. In this stillness, in this quiet space, in this season where we're all busy with extra preparations and shopping and all the stuff that we have to do, And here's what I want you to do, first of all. I want you to think about the thing in your life, the thing or things in your life that are causing you to feel some uncertainty right now. Go ahead, just take a moment to be very honest with yourself. Picture those things, whatever they are. Maybe a word comes to mind, maybe several words. Maybe you know right now exactly what it is that's causing you to feel uncertain, maybe a little bit anxious right now, maybe a little bit fearful. And it's okay to acknowledge those things. Maybe you want to picture yourself going through that dark tunnel on a train right now because that's, that's somewhat of what you're feeling. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture our good God. I want you to picture Jesus as king. And we're going to sit still in this moment and trust the engineer. I want you to 
to picture, to picture him. Maybe you want to picture Jesus as a baby in a manger. Maybe you want to picture him as a king with a crown on his head. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture, picture him and picture giving those things to him today. Maybe you want to pray that in, in your heart, God, I give you that thing. God, I give you that need. God, I give you that relationship. And in this moment, I choose to be still and to trust the engineer. Lord, I choose to be still and know that you are God. God, I release these things to you. Come on, do that. God, I release that need to you. I release that worry to you. I release that uncertainty to you, and I place it in your hands. And now God may begin to give you a word. He may give you a picture. He may give you a scripture. He may speak the simple phrase that he spoke to me at my dining room table this past week. Jesus, Jeremy, what you need more than anything else is me. What you need more than anything else is me. You're worried about all these things, but what you need is me. God, speak to us. God, speak to us. Give us a word. Give us a scripture. Give us an image so that we can still our spirits, so that we can trust you. We can be still and know that you are God. Now let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this moment of stillness in your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these ancient prophecies that were spoken centuries ago, but they're still relevant to our lives today. Jesus, we thank you that you are the fulfillment of everything that was spoken. God, we thank you that you are a God who makes good on his promises. You don't forget us. And you sent us your son. And we thank you that that baby grew up that Jesus, you lived for us and you died for us and you resurrected for us and you, you have become our king. And even if we're feeling uncertainty today, we, we find strength in the fact that you are our king and you can transform uncertainty to certain victory. And we stand on that today and we receive your peace into our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. And now let me pray for the person who would say, Pastor, I want that, but I feel so far away from God. I want to know God that way. I want to have a relationship with him in that way. Everything you're describing, there's something in my heart that, that longs for that today, but I don't even know where to start. If you're feeling that today, we believe that that is the tugging on your heart of a gentle God, a loving God who is tugging on your heart by his spirit, leaving, leading you to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus. And it starts with placing your faith in him to receive him as your king. And so maybe you need to pray that today for the first time, for the hundredth time. Jesus, I make you my king. Come on, somebody needs to pray that today. Jesus, I make you my king. I trust in you. I place my faith in you. I believe you are who you said you are, the son of God, that you are the fulfillment of these prophecies. Pray this with me. I believe you lived for me. You died for me. You were resurrected for me. And I place my faith in you. And I acknowledge that you are king. Father, bless every person who prayed that prayer today, that they would know you, Jesus, not only not just as Savior, but as Lord, as king of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.